Let's talk about homelessness. Let's talk about people living on the streets. Let's talk about the person you see lying on the bench. Let's talk about people carrying all their possessions on their backs. Let's talk about how to reduce suffering in our communities. Let's talk about people in our communities that don't have shelter and food. Let's talk about loving our neighbors. During the recording of this podcast, I live near a Air Force base. This was being recorded on my phone, so sorry if you hear airplanes during the podcast. Today we're talking to Katie and Candace from Hunger Free Oklahoma. First, we'll just um, just tell us a little bit more about your programs and services, uh, how long you've done step outreach and how you kind of got started. I was doing a little research on y'all's website before we hopped on and it looks like you, our guys are very new, November of 2020. Yeah, we the the nonprofit is new, but we've been doing this work for about three years um, with our church. We started with our church having a homeless ministry, just doing a little bit um, here and there. Uh, we would have about forty to fifty dollars a month, and that we could use. And so we would just, however, we could serve uh, the people in our community. We would do, and that. Sometimes it was a, a dinner once a month, or sometimes it was gathering clothes. And we had, we decided to do a free pop-up store. So we would go where uh, they hang out. One of those places is Our Daily Bread. They feed about 200 to 300, sometimes 400 people a day, five days a week in Enid. So we would take a car full of clothes, put a table out, and give away everything free. If they could use it, it was theirs. And that's kind of how we got started by just doing those little things. And then, uh, then of course the pandemic hit <laughs> and we've seen that the needs were more, definitely more. Um, we had uh, homeless telling us, you know, they didn't have any place to use the bathroom, didn't have any place to wash their hands, wash their hands or really be, be in community. Everything downtown was shut down. The library was shut down. Uh, our daily bread was still serving meals, but it was just handing them a meal and then uh, um, they were on their way. Yeah. And uh, the day shelter was closed for a while. The only shelter that was open was Salvation Army, and it holds about, if I'm not mistaken, 15 or 20. A total of 40. Oh, 40? Okay. So that's kind of how we got started. And the pandemic just blew it up, I think, mostly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in the just kind of beginnings of all of this, like you said, it or like you just mentioned, it started with just homeless outreach and things. Did you guys always start with the intention of trying to connect them to other resources like SNAP benefits, like housing and mental health? Like, were, was that part of your outreach too, or was it just food and clothes at the beginning? 
Well, I spent 30 years working for DHS, so it was okay. just a make sure they got the resources that they needed. Yeah, so absolutely. Really, that's great. Food stamps was the first thing, really, that we started doing that was a, a one of the outside resources. And then we made sure they got their stimulus when that was available. Mm -hmm. We helped about 14 or 15 homeless uh, receive their stimulus. Right, as she's typing, I'm just gonna say, kind of walk us through what your outreach looks like now um, with community with folks. Do you guys do like an, a little bit of an intake just to kind of see where, mm -hmm. what their highest needs are? Or can you kind of walk yeah. me through how you guys have that structured if you don't mind? Yeah, we have uh, three forms that we do on an intake. And one of the forms is uh, HMIS, and we're collecting data for um, CDSA, which is a, uh, North Central Oklahoma Community of uh, Continuum of Care. They do uh, five or six counties. So we're working with them to collect the data because that's one thing that Enid, you know, they've never really settled on. You know, they say, oh, there's not very many homeless or they say there's a lot of homeless. And so we're just trying to collect the data. So we do a data sheet on them and then we do an intake form and then we do a, uh, authorization form so that we can um, help them if if there's any questions on a food stamp application or something like that that we filled out that we can help them uh, get that resource or ask questions or set up their interview or whatever um, so and the the three things that we work on uh, first are shelter which is housing food and you know, basic needs first, um, just kind of putting out the fire. You know, if they, uh, if they come in and they're hungry, the first thing we do uh, when they, and we just opened our uh, resource center on July 27th. July 27th. So the first thing we ask, are you hungry? And do you need something to drink? Um, we have found through our, you know, being on the street and boots on the ground outreach is that they come in and depending on what, what what the degrees is outside, sometimes some of them are facing hydration problems, dehydration problems, I guess I should say. So we do offer them Gatorade. We have a big supply of Gatorade and water on hand. So that's the first thing. And we kind of let them sit there for a little bit to make sure they're okay. And then we go on to, um, these are the three forms that we have to have to, uh, start the process. So, and it just depends on really their writing and communication skills on how, how we uh, fill those out. We can fill them out themselves and have them sign it, or they can fill it out, which, whichever one um, that they want. We always ask them if they want to fill them out. So and part of our, part of our work is empowerment, uh, not just not just getting them services, but empowering them. So we do hygiene supplies there, um, meals, if they need a meal, we'll fix them a meal. We have just basic stuff there. We don't prepare like uh, for 50 people or anything. Uh, Tyson has been a big donor. So they fill our freezers every month of 
like hamburgers, frozen hamburgers, um, breakfast sandwiches, breakfast sandwiches uh, just little lunch sandwiches like um, ham and cheese and stuff like that. And then we keep chips and granola bars on hand. And we have a, a, clo a small clothing closet there. Um, we do the summer, summer hydration. Sleeping bags and tents are a big need. Sleeping bags, not so much during the summer, but uh, we have a lot of people that ask for a tent because they're sleeping outside in the, in the elements. Um, we do over-the-counter meds. So we have a med cabinet with Tylenol, ibuprofen, cold medicine, um, what's it? antibiotic um, ointment, Band-Aids. Uh, just about anything. Just, <laughs> I mean, and it's all been donated by um, our, we have a Amazon list on our Facebook page of our needs. If you just click on there, it's a wish list. And those, those needs came directly from homeless people, you know, the, the items there. Uh, we have treatment resources. One of the guys that volunteers is a, he works at Catalyst part-time. So if they need treatment, uh, we can get them in for drug and alcohol treatment. Um, we have counseling resources. Um, we have one volunteer counselor that has uh, volunteered her hours. Uh, she just starting this month, so we haven't really used her yet. And then we use CDSA for housing. If if they have an income, like Social Security or something like that, um, CDSA will do the HMIS form. And um, if they qualify, they'll put them in housing for, and pay three months and their deposit. I know that's a lot of information to intake, but we just, we kind of, we try to streamline it so we know what, what we're doing. We want to know... If, if we know what we're doing, then, you know, it's easier for us to help people. And we're also doing intake forms. We unfortunately had two die. So we're trying to get a record of next of kin so we don't have to try to track that down through difficult ways. And that's just been this year. May and June we lost yeah. two. We lost one in May and one in June. The, uh, it's amazing the work you guys do. I'm just, I just have goosebumps. So <laughs> the, well, thank, you. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. That's so needed. And um, what, what are some tips and I'm going a little off script, but what are some tips that you guys have for, you know, organizations that maybe have less experience, but want to help connect and serve, you know, similar populations. So what, what, what are your tips for organizations um, getting in the right frame of mind related to helping uh, with, with um, folks that are homeless? Well, you can't just walk up to them and just think you're going to be able to help them. You've got to develop a rapport and the trust with them. Once you get that developed, then you can start reaching out and finding out what they need and starting that process because 
when I first started, they just like maybe take one thing off my table, but now they're unloading my truck for me. They're helping me set up. I mean, they're like big protectors of me now. They'll do anything for me because they know who I am. And that's one of the questions we get asked most often from outsiders looking in, how safe are you out there? And, um, well, number one, we're Christian and we believe we're, we're doing the work of God. So we're safe that way. But I guarantee you that Rhonda is not going to get hurt out there. I mean, they are very protective of her and anybody that we, we've even had, uh, dinners where we had, uh, our grandchildren there. Um, and they're very protective. Like, you know, they'll stand there. We had a, a time where we were doing stuff downtown Enid in a breezeway and, um, somebody got kind of out of hand. She, um, suffers from mental difficulties and schizophrenia and they just, uh, two guys just kind of walked her on out of the <laughs> breezeway and said, you know, when, when you Peggy, when you get, um, where you can be in here, then you can come back, but you're scaring the kids. So they're very respectful and friendly, uh, funny, sarcastic, wild, eccentric. <laughs> I mean, there's, they're, they, you know, they're people just like me and you. And I think that that's what people need to know. And they have been hurt by the system. So they don't trust very many people. So. I think one of the things that I can say is you just keep going back. You just keep offering help. And um, I, we don't learn offer their names. Yeah, learn their names. That's a big one. We, we call them by their name. If somebody's new with us, we introduce them. When they come to the shelter, we treat them like they're our family that walked in the door that doesn't, you know, if you were at a family reunion or something and you walked in and you didn't know some people there, you would introduce everybody. So when they come into the resource center, we make sure this is Charlie. Charlie, this is Jan, and Jan is a volunteer here. And we make those connections, you know, so that it's uh, it's empowering to both people. Jan knows who Charlie is, and Charlie now know knows that we feel safe around Jan because we have her here. I think that's the one of the biggest obstacles is a rapport and trust. What do you find is the most uh, or the kind of top or most effective communication chains? Um, as far as if you're, if you're wanting to get information out, how, how are you guys finding that that works well for um, your setup and communicating with clientele? I would say flyers. When we have something, if like we had a July 4th dinner, um, we made flyers and we took them out two days before and handed them out at our daily bread. And we went to the park and, um, we went down to the breezeway and the library. We know where they hang out. And those four places are very good places to, and you just kind of have to find out where your places are in your area. Um, the library is always a good place because they're cooling stations or warming stations. So. And I would just, you know, ask a librarian or something like that. But that's what we do. It's word of mouth between them, mostly. I mean, we do the flyers and 
we can hand 10 flyers out and get 50 people to come. So, you know, they just pass it along. Hey, uh, you know, I'm just going to do it. Yeah, they're going to have hamburgers and hot dogs. So let's all go there. So, and we have a pretty good working relationship with the other nonprofits here. Uh, we have a day shelter. And so sometimes we go and we take a case of Gatorade down there for those that are at the day shelter. Um, and we, you know, Salvation Army, we call them when we need to, and they call us if they have somebody that's in need that they can't help, they send them to us and we'll, we'll send them to their shelter. So that's, that's one problem or one thing that's um, in our town where some people fall through the gaps. Um, Salvation Army is a sober, sober facility. So if you're not sober, then you can't stay. So um, some of our folks are uh, substance abuse, users some of them are mentally ill and substance abuse and so they they can't stay at that shelter so they're on the street so talk to us a little bit more about some of these referral chains so how, how, what are some things that over time with the relationships you're build, building with your local partners that are helping with you know catching so that folks aren't falling in the gap or setting up those relationships and comfort so that people think of you and know what you have to offer and, and you know, tell us a little bit more about how that has maybe how it got started and how it's evolved because that's a big challenge that a lot of Nonprofits, nonprofits find themselves in is they're so busy working, helping, they don't think about the 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 larger reach and the the help that they can do with each other. So talk, talk to us a little bit about that because it sounds like you've got some good things going. Well, our, our thing is we didn't want to reinvent the wheel. We don't want to do something that other people are doing. Um, we were helping people that fall through the gaps. So uh, I, I think that was in seems like it was in November of 2020, we started noticing more of the gaps because of the pandemic. And sorry, there's a plane going by. And we started uh, just a coalition that tried to get all the nonprofits together. And we, at that time, we didn't have a nonprofit and we weren't planning on starting a nonprofit. Um, so we had probably 45 or 50 people show up and probably I'd say 20 nonprofits were there. At least 20 nonprofits were there. So that's one of the big things is get hooked up with uh, nonprofits in the community. Ask them, you know, hey, can we have a uh, meeting once a month or quarterly or something so we can get updates on everybody? That's really, we knew most of the people uh, because of Rhonda's work and um, so we knew a lot of the nonprofits but we even invited the police station because one of our things is we want to reduce um, contacts with the homeless and how do you do that by preparing the police and preparing you know people that are involved with these people so we want to re reduce the contacts that are made with them and so the police station calls us we had a uh, our church, uh, we had an overnight vigil. Was that in February or March? I think it was February. I think it was February when it was so cold. 
we had an overnight visual at our church and we opened the doors to anybody that wanted to come in and stay. Um, so the police station called us and said, there's a man in town. He just got here from Carmen. He'd walked from, walked Carmen, from Carmen, which is 40 or 50 miles. And they referred him to us and he came and stayed at the, we have cot set up. So we're praying and um, we, we do two hour shifts of prayer. So uh, our church can be open and they, they call us. I mean, we are, but you have to, you have to approach that where people don't think you're trying to take their, you know, there's so much money in a bucket. It's got to be shared with everybody. And you have to approach it where, you know, we're not out to get your money. We're out to do these services that are not being done. Anymore. So I, I would just say getting everybody together. That's got, you've got to network. And we have uh, the community health uh, center. Is that what's called? Community clinic. Community clinic. Community clinic. Uh, the nurse there. So if we have somebody that needs nursing, say they're, diabetic or I don't, I don't know what else would be fun. High blood pressure. High blood pressure, something like that. She can um, get them into the free clinic and get them seen. Or if they need a, a prescription refilled, she can get the doctor to refill it and we can go pick it up. So there's just, I mean, you just got to connect with everybody else. It's because you don't want to duplicate services that are already being provided. I would think that's that would be real, a good selling point. Sorry. Yeah. Is that but you gotta know what's being provided. That's yeah. part of the issue is that you 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 really have to just dig in and find out what's in your community for people. Yeah, thinking that everybody's a little short on time and resources and so it makes sense to talk to each other about so we know and then look at coverage, make sure that it's accessible and people are aware of it, but also make sure that um, if we're, I mean, if we can reduce duplication, what we can do is free up time and resources to help more people or help people right. in other ways. So that that seems very logical. Mm -hmm. We can once a month. So we have a nonprofit meeting once a month here. We connect and like we're going to do a community dental day in October. So they wanted to make sure that I knew to get the homeless there for that. And we just, it's a good way to connect and to find out what all the resources are that people have available right now, so. That's awesome. And I'm sure that probably strengthens any application or, or grant proposal that gets submitted, because if you guys know each other and you can collaborate and coordinate, then that, that would, you know, from a funder's standpoint, that would make it seem like it's a stronger proposal, it's more sustainable solutions, and you know, working together is always better than trying to tackle something as large as what you guys are tackling. Right, away, so. and, and we find out about grants and uh, stuff like that by going to the nonprofit meeting. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, we, we filed for an, um, a venture grant through United Way. We haven't received it yet. We don't find out until September, mm -hmm. but that's how we found out about it, by going to a nonprofit meeting. That's awesome.
Well, if you guys um, are, are open to it, let's kind of switch gears a little bit and talk to us a little bit about the SNAP application piece of it or the food stamp application piece of it. So how are you finding that it works best? Um, you know, that, that's got some complexities. Of course, you've got a resident expert there. Right. <laughs> that doesn't, that's certainly helpful. So what, what do we need to know in that area? Because that's a lot of our work is just trying to help other organizations that are new to trying to help um, to give them some tips and tricks that we're picking up from the veterans. So what are, what are you guys thinking in that area? I can tell you one thing I hate about it. <laughs> the email. You have to have an email. You have to have an email address. I mean, they don't have an email address. They don't have a, a phone. <laughs> and they can't get a free phone until they get food stamps. So... They don't have an email address till we get them a free phone. So we we have run out of email addresses. So we're, <laughs> we, you know, we used everybody we know. And then now we're, you know, that's part of our time that we could be doing something else. But, set, you know, setting up email addresses is a waste of time to me. So when you guys are setting those up, yeah, I'm curious about that. If you have any kind of main hub communication or you try to set them up as individual pieces or, um, you know, because oftentimes for, for that um, uh, interview, case, you know, caseworker interview that occurs after the form's been submitted where they're trying to contact folks or talk to them, um, you know, you need to be able to put a number in there where folks can you know, um, connect or they can kind of track each other down. So how, how are you guys handling that part of it? I mean, Treat me one-on-one, -on -one, beginner, basic, basic. Give me the details. Well, since I don't have a phone, I usually put my phone number, and then when the worker calls, I say, you got to give me a little bit to track them down because I've got to go hunt for them. And then, you know, we'll call them back, we'll do the interview and take care of that. The email address part is just frustrating because you can't use the same email over so everybody has to have their own so we're trying to keep track of all these emails and it just seems like there would be an easier way to do it but our hardest part is tracking them down because they're they're doing a pretty good turnaround on interviews so they're calling within a day so once i do the application i've got to find them the next day to do the interview I really don't know what you want me to answer here. <laughs> I know it's so it's probably so second nature for you. You're like, I don't know what to tell you. Okay, tell me this. Um, are you setting them up with their own DHS account and then fill out their application? Are you going like you have your own proxy login and you're logging in and then you're starting a new application under that? <laughs> no, I go through okay DHS Live. But under under that, are you, you know, because once you get to OKDHS Live landing page um, to start an application, you have to set up an account. Um, but we also have ways that, like, we train organizations that they set up their account as an organization. So that's their login. And then as they're helping process people, they're generating applications outside of that one login. Um, it'll still flag if you have duplicate email. I mean, you still got to find that. Yeah, that, that's an we issue. Just across the board. On the individual that way and then I just keep track so when it's time to renew I can just go back in and use that same email address and continue the process and we don't have a 
So biggest challenges, email, um, the phone, the phone one you've kind of resolved in the sense you're the main, you're the liaison there. Um, and then the track down piece you've mentioned. What about on the flip side for getting ready, you know, as far as any kind of, of prep or coaching or helping folks to um, not be worried about the, the kind of that interview component of it? And then how do you help with any of the document side? Because that's, that's a big way that people, um, you know, miss the window of approval because something needed to be faxed in or sent and, and the they miss it. So do y'all do y'all run into that? Do you have anything to kind of help with it? Or what do you do in that regard? I mean, I've, I've come across that with they need copies of IVs and socials. And the worker will usually just say, snap me a picture of it and email it to me. So I can do that out on the street and take care of that. Um, as for prepping them for the interview, it's more I got to prep the worker on how the person's going to be because they may have already started drinking that day so or they may not be in a good space mentally so we kind of try to prep the a worker to say you know this person has mental difficult difficulties and they may sound challenged on the phone i just try to make it easy for both Thank you. Yeah, making some <laughs> to type kind of quick on that one. That's um, I think. What else are we missing, Katie? As far as some kind of key things or, or information while we've while we've got uh, the chance to ask it. Well, and I asked some questions too, but I'm using my phone, so I can't look at them. I kind of know what you guys do. Yeah, <laughs> like what have you done during the pandemic? How has this been, you know, different for you all? and trying to get people uh, food. We are, um, the our organization is a nonprofit that serves statewide, and we work in partnership with several of the state agencies, but also um, with other types of nonprofits and all. So we're kind of that, we're kind of an intermediary um, support organization. So we help with capacity building and trying to locate resources and support the folks that are helping folks. Um, and we traditionally haven't done direct outreach and direct service. Um, however, with the pandemic and the the need, um, you know, specifically in the area of the SNAP applications and um, county offices closing and and just the the whole uh, DHS uh, lines being just overrun, um, and we we worked with DHS to set up a um, hotline, a statewide hotline to help with SNAP application assistance. And it was just going to be a temporary thing. It was just meeting that big demand to try to kind of be a good partner and help out. And that has ended up rolling into um, uh, something that is uh, being continued. So it's part, it's in the state outreach contract now. Um, and is, is one of those things that we've got federal matching um, and, and hopefully will continue to do for quite some time. Um, so Part of that state outreach contract then with DHS is just looking at, okay, who, you know, where are the needs, who, who might be interested in helping folks in these regard in this regard, and then um, what does it take to help help folks to be successful at this? Um, and so uh, that's a lot of our work. Now we also work with um, 
summer meals. So family, you know, kiddos that under age 18, the, the federal programs that, you know, allow kiddos to eat, have, have meal sites, sponsors and meal sites and all that. Um, we, we help in those areas. Um, and then we also help with uh, working with school districts and, and trying to increase participation of um, breakfast and, and uh, lunch and after school snacks and meals um, through school districts and community partners. So we kind of work across about five of the federal nutrition programs. Um, and that's been our focus. Probably we've been, a, we've been in, biz, in business. We've been here about four years. Is that right? I came in about a year after and I'm almost to my third year mark. And um, it was just looking at food insecurity across Oklahoma and that there are a lot of great things going on, but there wasn't really an organization to help connect the dots. And that that was all day, every day, we looked at trying to make sure that was being supported. Um, and so that's how our organization was formed. Um, and probably for the first five or so years or longer, um, our biggest focus is trying to connect with those federal resources because they're so underutilized in Oklahoma and a lot of folks just aren't aware. So that great work being done locally, great work being done at the county level, and a lot of people putting a lot of resources and time towards that um, can only go so far. And so if we can kind of continue to infuse more of the, the federal funds where appropriate, then again, it lists everybody along the way and it helps to free up some of the local resources to, to reach more and do more. So that's really kind of in a nutshell what, what we do. So. We, we provide technical assistance and training, but so much, we're just learners. We just wanna to talk to people, find out what's working. <laughs> and then we try to help spread the word on that so that there's a lot of peer learning. Um, so appreciate you guys talking to us and, and kind of educate us in that regard. And, and we, wanna, we wanna find ways to help tell your story because that helps other, other communities to um, feel empowered to help in these areas as well. Well, I can say one of the things that we've seen with the increase of SNAP benefits to the homeless is that this empowers them to eat when they want to and to eat better, to eat more healthier, and uh, they can get the free phone. Some of them don't have ID or identification so that um, they can't get the... Um, free phone by just going up there. So if they can get on food stamps, we can get the worker, Rhonda will go out there and get their. The identification sheet. That yeah, identification. Stamp and, and they're able to get that and she can take them to get a free phone. And that enables them to talk to family, enables them to get services, call places, call us if they're in need. It just helps. And we've seen people be happier. Like we were open, we were only open one day a week, but we work four days a week. <laughs> that one day a week that we're open, um, our doors are open that day, but we're processing everything on the other days. So um, so maybe on, we, we have a, a person that needs food stamps, got accepted, needs a phone. It may be Wednesday or Thursday before we can take him to get a phone. So we'll take them to DHS, they'll get their paper, and then they can go get their free phone. So those are the three things that we've seen improve. A healthier eating, eating more often, and being powered by, I can you know, get my own food at this time, and uh, getting a phone to communicate with others. 
and they seem to be happier. Like they're not having to walk. Uh, I don't know if you've been, ever been to Enid and we would like to invite you to come. We'd be honored if you'd come and see our resource center. But uh, downtown is about a mile. And so there's four things in that mile. Um, Hope Outreach, the library, the day center, and Salvation Army. So um, they, they, they kind of stay, if we have figured this out and maybe in other places they can too, we figured out uh, that we could almost find them if we stay within that mile. So if they are, um, if we get an interview, we'll, we'll go look at those places and we'll just go around and I'm, I, 99% of the time we find them in those areas. So Well, having those hub kind of core areas that can help with the service coordination and all is a huge help for our populations to not have to be it is here it is. and then here and then here yeah so and then we also have i don't, I don't i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt interrupt you we have a bike ministry too where um we people can donate us our, their bikes and we'll fix them up because that's one of the things that freeze them up too. If they can be on, have some transportation, they may be able to get a job. If they can, you know, if they don't have to walk five miles to a job and they can ride a bicycle, it gets them to where they can get to DHS because our DHS office is three, three miles. It's on the south side of town, about three miles out. <laughs> yeah. So it's not close. If we can get them transportation, you know, just a bicycle and we do have, uh, we have, our church has a parts fund, so we buy them, um, we usually send them home with a, a, bike, lock. a bike lock and the, the light. Oh, headlight and tail light. Headlight and tail light. The cops like to stop them. They don't have that. So we may have, hmm, Depends on if the bike was donated or we got it for 25 bucks or whatever, but we may have 50 or $60 into a bike. And, um, but it sure means a lot to them. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just gets them more access to more things. That is, that is wonderful. Yeah. And you know, it's like, it's such a, it makes such perfect sense, but you know, my head didn't go there. So yeah, it makes sense for the transportation side of it. And what a great way, what a, what a creative, low cost, great way to um, make something happen in that area. And we got some bikes from the police station. Uh, you know, they have stolen bikes that are reported or they find or whatever. They gave us what? 40? About 50 bicycles. 50 bicycles. So, and, and some of them were in not great repair, but if we can get it free and we can put 25 to $30 in it, and we're empowering people and empowering the homeless to come down there and show us your skill. So we have two or three guys that are homeless that come on Tuesday and all they do is work on bikes. And we just put in laundry service too, so yeah. they can do their laundry now without having to. Our day shelter makes them work an hour and a half to be able to do their laundry so this lets them do that so they'll feel better because they've got clean clothes on and well that's not a hundred percent true they if you get there early at the day shelter 
and get in line and you're one of the first 10, you don't have to pay. But if you're after, that's what, that's what um, Brandy told me yesterday. Brandy said that it's one of our ladies that comes in. She said, if you're after the 10th person, then you have to get a, you have to work an hour and a half to get a voucher to go do your laundry at like uh, a laundromat. So they, they open at nine, nine to three. And it's, they only, do they only have one set? One set. They have one set. So, you know, doing laundry is a big thing for them too. So. Without divulging any confidentialities, tell us a little bit about some of your success stories. Tell us about tell about some of those good stories um, or general context that, that you have really, you know, really puts wind in your sails and and uh, you're comfortable telling telling or sharing because we would love to hear a little bit about that. Uh, we have a, an elderly lady. She's 65. She's got some mental illness. And I found out she's getting widow's benefits. And she, that she, was last year. That was last year that I found out she's getting widow's benefits. And she's still, I mean, she's getting enough to not be on the street. And I kept saying, you know, what, what's up with this? And she kept saying that her card was in a safe at one of the shelters. So I called the shelter and I said, you know, do you have her card? Because she's, she's getting enough money that we could get her into housing. Come to find out she did not have her card. It was lost. It's been lost since 2019. It's being mailed this week and she's got probably $25,000 on there. So we will be able to get her into housing, hopefully. And she wants to get her hair done and it's just amazing. Wow. So, but that 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 impediment was the the physical card, and not really sure about how to get it or connect with it, and that barrier that she felt. Um, and so, how long how long did how long did that take to accrue? Is that that's several I'm trying to she do the math have, on that? <laughs> she has a, a card since 2019. 2019. Okay, we, we got certified as a. And this is something that other places should think about. We got certified as a third party social security filer. So they can come in our office and sign a uh, uh, authorization form and we can we can send it to our local office and they can talk to their case with us. So we can have them on the phone or and so we did that training a month ago. Yeah. We just did the training a month ago and it took three or four times talking to her about it before she would sign the form. You know, she was kind of scared about signing a form for us to get authorized to talk to uh, Social Security because she says she called and already taken care of it. And she has mental illness and uh, she had not. I mean, maybe she dreamed it or something. I don't know. but So... Probably, we got we got um, trained a month ago, so we have we have we have her case we're working on. We have a guy that's sixty four and a half. We're working on trying to get him funds. Um, he's been on the street for thirty years, homeless, on and off the street for thirty years. And then we have a new guy that came in that um, 
has a lot of medical issues and we filed for his social security. So, um, so there's three cases that we're, we're working on and we, this is not just a short term thing. You have to have a long term because it's such, such a large issue and systemic that it takes time to see things uh, mature. It's like planting a seed and watching the bloom and waiting all spring for this one bloom. So if you're looking to get pats on the back or some, some kind of accolades, it, it, is, it is not gonna happen. And I don't know if you've ever seen a social security application, but it is long. It takes a couple hours at least to fill it out. Oh my goodness. Wow. And so we're, we're only open four hours. So if somebody comes in, wants to fill one out, that takes, you know, half our time. So one, one volunteer has got to be um, just working with one person. So we'll have to have other volunteers around. Uh, yesterday we had five or six volunteers, five or six volunteers there. And after the, and we only had three or four people come in. One lady was working on a bike and this gentleman was helping her. And then a couple of them just came in to get out of the heat and rain. get something to eat in the rain. And then as soon as all the volunteers left, we had three, three food stamp applications and two medical apps. And two medical apps in an hour. Because we do Medicaid expansion apps too. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. To make sure they all have medical. I have two questions and they are kind of related to each other. Just to give me a little bit of context, like you said, the social security application takes you about two hours. How long do you find it takes for you guys to complete a SNAP application for, for a client? Um, I can do one in about 10 minutes. Oh, man. Now, now, if you ask me to do one, it takes me 25. Okay. <laughs> Doing right. them alone, you know, so yeah. takes me so, about 25. Right. Yeah. We, we find, um, our hotline agents takes about 20 to 30 minutes on average. So that just, I was just kind of trying to see, um, how, how fast you guys can get through that. And then the second question I have is it sounds like you have a lot of volunteers, which is amazing and great. And we love to hear that. Um, do they go through any kind of training on any of these applications, whether it's social security or stat benefits, or like you said, Medicaid expansion or any kind of, or do we just kind of not really throw them in the deep end, but do you just kind of no, say, no, we don't do that. <laughs> we don't do that. <laughs> right. We volunteers yeah. if we did that. Sure. Since we're fairly new, we just put them on intake right now. They'll do the okay. three forms we need for that. Mm -hmm. And then Cindy and I will do the other applications. And once they've been there a while, then we'll start. We've got cheat sheets on how to do something. If I'm too busy with something, they could mm -hmm. get through it if they needed to mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, yeah, we have a um, line by right line. Sheet, sheet. Yeah, <laughs> we have a line by line um, um, sheet that says, go to this website, do this, put this in. So me and Rhonda sat here one day and did it, and we just did a line by line um, sheet where somebody could follow it. Mm -hmm. Unless you have the wrong sheet. Like uh, yesterday, we had a food stamp come in, the lady wanted food stamps and Medicaid expansion. And all I heard in my head was Medicaid expansion. So I was on the Sooner Care trying to file for food stamps. So it didn't work. <laughs> so Rhonda had to help. 
that's great. Well, if you guys have done the work on that, I would love to see some of your little cheat sheets or quick guides. Um, mm-hmm. If you guys don't mind sharing those, like a link or an email or something to take a look. Um, and we have resources that are available that if you guys wanted like some bookmarks or um you know, various sizes of uh, pieces of information that talks about SNAP. Um, Yeah, it's in English on one side, Spanish on the other. Oh, Um, yeah. That'd be a conversation, you know, for some of our future touch points. um, We're more than happy to to send some of that forward for you all. We could mail it. Um, Again, just... If, if you've got a use for it, we, w- we would love to put it in your hands. And, and uh, if there are other types of resources you feel like you need, let us know and let's see what we can do to help. Okay. Well, I'll send you my address after okay. uh, this is over. and You can send us some resources. And if you have some flyers, I noticed that one flyer that you had, the 1877, I think, number or something. One. If you yeah. can send us those flyers, you know, we could um, have a, we have a resource uh, like a brochure thing that we just set up and we we tend to we want to go to vending places you know like festivals and stuff and we can take that information with us too yeah that's awesome yeah that 1877 number is our our snap hotline which is right. um open six days a week and does have language um yeah. services as well so if we get somebody, if we get somebody in that um, is uh, by um, doesn't doesn't speak English, it would be great to have a, a source where we could call and um, have them just sit right there and do it if they need mm-hmm. to use our phone or whatever. We have yeah. Spanish available all the time that the line is open. So English or Spanish all the way through. And then we also have Burmese and Zomi because those were those were some of the ones that DHS and partners had mentioned and, you know, um, of higher priority. Hopefully we'll add some other languages soon, but for sure we have those um, that are available. And the Burmese and Zomi um, are not uh, always on staff all the time because that's such a small, such a specialty um, staff uh, space. Uh, but... We can send you the hours on that so you guys have it. And really, if somebody calls in and we don't have it available, they do call. We do callbacks, so they, they could get put on the list for callbacks um, if somebody can help in the language. They we need have it. a big. Um... The Hunger Free Oklahoma SNAP Application Assistance Hotline is available toll free and let me give you the number it's one 770 and anyone age 18 or older can call that line for assistance in completing a snap application thank you for joining us this week for being homeless is complicated Enid Street Outreach Services, Enid, Oklahoma. Have a great weekend.